Wow. A lot of you came tonight. I, just, I thought, you know, you were all cried out last week and you weren't going to come back. But, uh, uh, hey, uh, when you came in, you got a program. And I, I, want, I got a lot I want to get through tonight. And so I'm not going to talk about any of them except one. And that is that this Wednesday night, uh, we have our two-to-one, which is our couples event. If you are a couple, or you're thinking about becoming a couple, or you're a couple thinking about not becoming a couple, uh, this Wednesday night, again, is, is perfect. It's free dessert, if nothing else. Uh, it's free childcare. You don't have to make a reservation. It doesn't cost any money. If you just like chocolate, you ought to come. Uh, and it's a cheap Valentine's Day. And here's a heads up, 12 days. Men, if you can get anything else out of church, 12 days. Just, uh, just telling you that right up front. But... Um, uh, the rest of them, we have some seminars and different things like that coming up. But hey, we're in week four of this series called Pirates. Um, it's kind of one long message that we kind of split over to, over five weeks. And so we're going to wrap it up next week. But um, we're just looking at what Jesus said was um, a better way to live your life. And we're laying that beside our current life and going, what's the best deal? What's the best way, you know, uh, the best path? Um, what's the ship I want to kind of get on and take me where I think it's going to need to go? So we're looking at the path, we're looking at the ship, whatever you want to call it. And then we're also looking at the pirates or the enemies that are going to kind of try to come in and attack us along the way. And this is the fourth week. And if you have missed a couple or missed last week or missed whatever, um, or you're just brand new, just visiting, let me kind of catch you up is that week one we hit this is that Jesus will always know that you and I will always wrestle with this temptation to to put our trust in and to lean on and to count on things that once we get them or get to them, they can't. They just don't have the ability to do that. And so the question we walked away with three weeks ago is, what are you counting on? What are you leaning on, trusting in, saying, I think if my life hits a rough spot or whatever, that's going to take care of me down the road or whatever. What is it or who is it that you're leaning on or, or trusting to take care of you? Week two, Jesus challenged us to think different. A lot of us look through the wrong end of a telescope, kind of, and, and, we, and he, we just heard a challenge from, from God to say, hey, why don't you look at your stuff different, through a different lens, and what if you begin to view your money, your possessions, uh, your, 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 your place in life, whatever you want to call it, um, to be leveraged for somebody else, rather than my stuff for me. A lot of us have lived my stuff for me kind of lives, and, and uh, the, the, pro- the problem is that it's important stuff, seems far away, and... And my stuff just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so what if you begin to look at life a little differently? And last week, we kind of took a, a time out and we uh, began to ask a, a different question. Well, it was the same question, but before we go on any further, we had to kind of take a time out and go, hey, just once again, here's the question we have to answer every one of these five weeks. And that is, can you trust God? It's easy to trust God when you've got money in the bank, when you have somebody in your life every day looking at you saying, I love you, uh, when everything's going well, when your health is, is great. Can you trust God when the world doesn't treat you fair? Can you trust God when you can't make sense out of the world? Can you trust God when He doesn't do what you think He ought to do? Can you trust Him when He doesn't act the way you think He ought to act in the time frame that you think He ought to act in? Um, can you trust God when you're really afraid or frustrated? Or the word we used last week, last week was just worn out and weary. Can you believe in God when you're weary? Now, here's why we spend three weeks kind of answering the same question over and over. Who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Can you trust God? Um, are you willing to follow Him even in the hard times? And here's why that's so important. Because tonight and the next week as we wrap this up, we're going to move out of, now, do you believe and do you trust and, and do you think into the, well, if so, then what? The last few weeks have been in here. Do you believe? Do you trust? Do you think? What do you, what do you believe about this? We're going to kind of say, okay, you've settled that question, I hope. If that's true, then, then what? What is your life going to look like if that's true? Jesus said over and over that your heart and your treasure will always be in the same place. And he says, and this is him, not me. Jesus says, if I want to know what you trust in, what you're counting on, if I want to know what the, the highest priorities in your life is, I don't need to look in your heart. I need to look at your receipts. Right? I need to kind of go through your spending. What are you spending your money on? Because your money and your faith are always in the same place. Your money and your priorities, your money and your trust, your hearts are always in the same place. And this is true. All of us are on a journey. We're on a ship. And that ship's going somewhere. And you're going with it. Not the ship you wish you were on. If things were different, then I would, my life would look like that. And someday I hope I get on this ship. No, 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 no. The ship that you're currently on is heading somewhere. So here's the thing is, getting out of the theoretical and into the practical, if God looks at you over the last few weeks and says, listen, your ship, it's, it's, a, it's a great ship, but if you notice painted on the side of it is the word Titanic, you might want to change ships. And the invitation that God is saying is, what if, what if you get on board with me? 
Can you trust God when he tells you to do something that's brand new and, and feels uncomfortable and that you've never done before? Can you trust God when you don't see immediate results? I mean, so if I do this, Jim, by Thursday, I should see God in my life doing some strange things? Probably not. Can you trust God when he promises you to lead you to great treasure? But to get there, you have to throw your current map overboard. And I, when I first wrote this, I thought, this is what I actually said. Can you trust God? If so, you have to turn the wheel over to him or the helm over to him. But you know what? I don't think that's true. I don't think God's a control freak. I think if God wanted to make you do something or take, rip the steering wheel out of your hand or take something from you or say, like it or not, mister, you are going over there. He can do that if he wanted, if that's his agenda. He's God. But I don't think that's how God works. I, I, I think what God has done is he says, I'm going to offer you a better life. Here's a map. Here's the, the, the wisdom to read it. Here's the power to follow it. And what we talked about last week is, and here's the strength to achieve it, even when it feels like your boat's going down. I don't think he's ever going to yank control out of your hand. He's never going to take the wheel away from you. He leaves that to you and goes, I'm just saying, if you trust me, get on board and follow me. Sail with me. Well, what's that look like to follow God and in the area, especially the, the most important area of our life because it's, it, it, it has more influence over than the other. How do you trust God, follow God, sail with God in the area of your, of your finances? Now, when you came in today, everybody got a, a sheet like this. It, it's really important that you have one, all right? If you don't have one or you don't have anything to write with, okay, some of you are going, heck, I already put my gum in it. What am I going to do? Anyway, if you'll put your hand up, there's some, some ushers will kind of come through the room as best they can, just kind of catch their eye. Or if you need a pen or just reach in your neighbor's purse and take one, she won't care. But uh, you're going to need one of these today because this is a tre- my version of a treasure map. And we're going to follow this. And we have some really nerdy fill-in-the-blanks. And every time I do it, you roll your eyes at me like, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I didn't do it last month. I'm not doing it. Fine. Okay. But anyway, here's why. Is that every, every you know, good treasure hunter knows you got to have a treasure map. Jesus kind of used this analogy too. He says, listen, um, this map, this path to this good life that I want to have for you, um, it's very narrow, it's very dangerous, and not very many people walk it. Most people kind of get lost along the way. Listen to a guy named Paul, one of the very first followers of Jesus. These people just kind of get their eye and they'll they'll give it to you, right? This is how Paul, one of the very first followers of Jesus, talked about this is how you walk the map, all right? He says this, be very careful then, it's on the screens, be very careful then how you live. And that word live literally translates walk. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Literally, look at this. It says that Paul says, okay, first thing I want to tell you is you're going to kind of go down this map, all right, and kind of navigate, trying to find this life that you want to, is that be diligent, be careful, watch your step. Remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, I think it was the first one when Indiana Jones is going through the temple. He's got some people behind him, and he has to step on the, on the pads, and if he steps on the wrong one, the rock will go down, and everything. that's what eventually happens. And he kind of looks and says, step where I step, and then somebody doesn't do it, and they set off a whole chain of events, and the mountain blows up. But anyway, it's, it's, that's, I think, what Paul's saying is, hey, walk carefully. Literally, don't walk foolishly. Instead, he goes on and says, and make the most of every opportunity. Literally translates out, don't waste any moments. There aren't any spare minutes. There's not enough time. We all know that. Don't waste any. And here's why. Because the days are evil. Literally, they're, they're, they're full. They're prone to loss and sorrow and misfortune. He says, listen, walk careful. Watch your step. And here's why. Don't waste any minutes because sorrow and loss of fortune are all over the place. And even if you do it right, even if you stay on the trail, I'm telling you, danger, danger around every corner. So I'm going to point out three dangers along the... If you see there's three dangers on your map there and you're going to fill these out, the three pirates, whatever you want to call it, they seem to be the ones that attack me the most, all right? So this is kind of the Bergen, you know, pirates in, in our lives, something like that. And if, if these don't apply to you, then you know what? Make an airplane later in the parking lot. But anyway, um, uh, just act like you're writing because it makes me feel better. But, so fill in the blanks. So as you're walking towards, I think this is where God wants me to walk. Let me tell you about the first, like, danger you're probably going to kind of come up against. And that would be brainwashed monkeys. Now, here's the thing is, write it down. Don't write it and go, I'm not writing that down. Here, here's the thing is, you were expecting me to say something spiritual, right? You're like, watch out for Satan. You know, I've never met him. All right. Watch out for, you know, you know, evil spirits or something like that. No, I, no, maybe I should say that. But to me, I'll tell you what, the biggest danger in my life are these brainwashed monkeys. Now let me explain that. All right. 
There was a study done on these monkeys uh, years ago where they put all these monkeys in a room and in the middle of the room they put a pole and on top of the pole they put some great bananas up there or something up there that every monkey in the world wants. Now, as the monkeys begin to climb the pole, the experimenters would hit them with a fire hose. All right? So the monkey would come up there, boom, they'd blast them off. Whenever they'd go up there, they'd blast them off. Until all the monkeys finally kind of said, we can't get up. They're kind of giving up hope. And whenever one of the monkeys tried it, the experimenters noticed this. This was totally unexpected. Some of the other monkeys would run over and pull him down and punish him for even trying. Now, that was like phase one of, of the whole experiment. Then phase two was they began to swap out monkeys. They take one monkey out that had been blasted by the fire hose and put a new monkey in. And he would look around like bananas. And he would go over to the pole and he'd start climbing. The other monkeys would come up, grab him and pull him down and punish him. Over and over, they started switching out monkeys until eventually all the monkeys in the room, had, the monkeys that were left in the room had never ever been sprayed with a fire hose. Yet nobody was allowed to climb the pole. They would rush over and, and, and pull him down. And nobody really knew why. But nobody's allowed to climb the pole and get the bananas. Now, here's why I tell you that, because I know you're going, another animal story, great. Listen, all right? That's a pretty accurate description of the world I live in. I'm just speaking for myself, and here's kind of my world is, um, I spend without thinking. I love spending money, and I rarely ask, do I need this? My question is, do I want it? That's just me. And if I don't have the money, I borrow it and make payments. That's what I do. I don't wait. I don't weigh it against other options. I don't wait on anything. I just constantly buy more and more stuff. Now, let's say that over the last couple of weeks in here or the last year of your life, God's been doing something in your heart and you've kind of come to this place where you're going, you know what? I want to live different. I want to follow a different map. I, I want to spend different. I want to see my money and my possessions different. I want, to, I want to climb the pole to what's a better life. And every time I try to do that, sure enough, somebody comes along and knocks me down and pulls me down and says, that's not how you do it. That's not how you live. Why would you want to do that? And the answer is brainwash monkeys. Don't even try. I say things like, I think I want to be wiser and wait and save up and, and buy something and then charge it and pay it off. And the monkeys look at me and roll their eyes going, why would you do that? I think the car I'm driving or the house I'm living in, it's good enough. And the monkeys say, why? You can afford a better one, a bigger one. And have you seen the, the cool stuff the Jones just bought? <laughs> I, I, I'm going to make my kids earn their allowance rather than just hand it out to them. And the monkeys say, that's cruel. I'm going to use cash rather than plastic. And the monkeys go, no! Life takes Visa. What I found is that Visa takes life. You say, well, that's a cash card. I know it. But when my cash card's empty, I just switch to another card. And the monkeys, if I try anything else, the monkeys look at me and go, no, 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 that's... That's not how you do it. You know, I, I, I tell somebody, I think I want to change my life. I, I want to try living smarter or wiser. I want to spend my money different. And the monkeys look at me and go, well, you're going to miss out on the good stuff. Uh, I mean, you're, you're going to be an old-fashioned and foolish. And this is a once-in... How many times have you heard this? This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If you don't take advantage of it now, I mean, you're going to miss it. And you know what? You deserve this because you're worth it. And you can't get mad at the monkeys. I mean, they're brainwashed. I mean, it's, it's all they know. And the last thing you ought to do is look at them and go, well, if you love Jesus more, you know, that doesn't work either, I'm telling you. But taking financial advice from brainwashed monkeys is like the mouse taking advice from the cat. It's just not wise. When seven out of ten people on your street are either broke or one paycheck away from bankruptcy, when seven out of ten people on your street save less than 2% of their income and are making payments on thirty to $50,000 in high interest Debt, not counting their house, that's just the U.S. average. Trying to keep up with the Joneses or the monkeys in your life. I love how Dave Reagan says this. That's like a, taking advice from a shop te- teacher with missing fingers. It just it doesn't make sense. Taking advice financially from broke people. It doesn't make sense. You're keeping up with people that are broke. I love Dave Ramsey's anti-monkey slogan. It really makes sense. He says this, and this is worth writing down right here. If you will live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. If you'll choose now what you will not afford, later you won't live with what you can't afford. But it's your choice. The Bible puts it a little different. This is how the Bible says. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern the standard, the measurement of, of this is how you ought to act, or this is how you think. Don't conform to, the, to that pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to think different. 
You gotta, you gotta, you gotta look at stuff different. You gotta get a new way of thinking. And then, once you think different, is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, you can, you can change your path. You can figure out what God's will is for your life, His good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. But you gotta choose. You gotta choose. I'm gonna live different. I know what all the monkeys in my life are saying. I'm just saying, I want something different. So if danger number one is brainwashed monkeys, uh, the, the weapon to defeat brainwashed monkeys would be you choose your lifestyle. You choose. Instead of letting brainwashed monkeys or the neighborhood or these nameless people choose it for you. So that's danger number one. That's weapon number one. That's, that's the only thing I'm finding that's helping me uh, defeat that, that one in my life. The next danger is right around the corner and many times it's the result of the monkeys that attacked me earlier because sometimes when I'm not paying close enough attention, I'll find myself stumbling into danger number two, which is quicksand. All right, quicksand. That sticky, mucky stuff that when you step in it, it sucks you down and under, deeper and deeper and deeper and you know what I'm talking about. Quicksand is debt. Or just so everybody knows what we're talking about, I spend more money than I have. That's the best definition of debt I have. I'm spending more money than I have. We're trying to walk a path that leads to treasure and a life that really, God says, that's true life. And I got to speak for the Bergen family only. Debt is my biggest obstacle and I'm carrying some. I mean, I, I want to be where God wants me to be, but I can't get there. Mathematically, debt doesn't even make sense. I mean, paying interest over time on a product that's decreasing in value, no financial advisor would ever say that's good. Do the math. Even if you don't believe in God, debt's a bad investment. But biblically, God says this. In Proverbs 22, he says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant, literally slave to the lender. I love how Andy Stanley says it. He says, Debt is a prison that locks me in and locks God out. And isn't that true? How many times have I heard God say, hey, you need to do this. Or you ought to go over this. How many times have I heard about something? I'm going, oh, I want to I be involved in that. I want to go on a mission trip. I, you know, every time they talk about Afghanistan, I want to go over there someday. I, I want to do this. You walk by the tables at Christmas. I want to give to this, but I couldn't. You know why? I got payments. I got payments. I'm locked into payments. God was doing something awesome. I'm not saying you. I'm, this isn't a hypothetical. This is me. I, I, God was doing something awesome and I wanted to be a part of it, but I wasn't allowed to because I, I had chained myself to payments on something that I can't even remember what it is and it's probably broken now. But the finance company still wants a check every month. It's prison. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's very awkward because it's so true in all of our lives. I'm not going to talk about how the typical debt is that it's irrelevant. The, the truth is, again, speaking for myself, but I think I can speak for a lot of us in this room. I am carrying loans and debt and credit cards that I took on knowing it wasn't a good idea. I knew it, but it was at the time I thought it was my only option. I mean, I was sincere about it. I'm not throwing stones at anybody. Please don't throw stones at me. At the time, I thought it was my only option. Or when I took on that debt, I thought, now I, I had the best intentions. I'm going to pay this off early. Or I'm going to pay it off before the 90 days is up. And then between the, there and the 90 days, something came up. And now I'm just trying to make the minimum so I don't wreck my credit rating with late payments. Don't raise your hand. But anybody else? That's my reality. So what should I do? I've only found one. I'm, only fi- I'm finding only one weapon works against debt. And it doesn't take a lot of explanation either. But here it is. It's called margin. Margin. Write it down. So no, I'm not writing that down. Write it down. Okay. And here's why. I'll explain with this. Margin is the gap between what you make and what you spend. All right? I, I make this much. I spend this much. And this in here is called margin. Or another word you might want to write down is called peace. Peace. Because I tell you what, if it's this, there ain't no peace at your house. Right? It's been replaced with stress and arguing and anxiety and panic, and guilt, and arguing, and fighting. Negative margin, peace has left the building. And the only weapon against being a slave to debt is margin. I have to start, start spending less than I make, right? I need to make a decision. I'm not going to go any deeper into debt. I'm not going to charge anything else. And I'm going to use the margin between what I make and what I spend, even if it's just a little bit. I'm going to take this margin in here and I'm going to start not just not going deeper in debt. I'm going to start paying off the debt that I'm being sucked down into deeper and deeper. Uh, Dave Ramsey uh, of Financial uh, Peace University, he says this. He says, you got to dump 
dumb debt. And we talked about this last year. Dump, dumb debt. Let me, what, what is dumb debt? It's very simple. You borrowed money to buy something that's going down in value. And when you're finished paying for it, it will be worse, worth less than what you paid. That's, that's dumb debt. Dumb debt wouldn't include your house or your business. Although there's a lot of people out there that say, all debt is bad. The Bible doesn't call debt a sin. So if you're in, in debt, you know, and you say, God didn't say, well, that's a sin. And, you know, it's, Jesus died for your credit card. That's not what we're saying, all right? But God has never used debt to help his people, ever. He just never has. It's always mentioned as a curse. I'm a slave to debt or the debt you're in is just foolish. I'm talking about credit card debt. Got it. Car loans. Got them. Lease payments. Done it. High interest, unsecured loans. I have a couple. Doesn't. Anyway, getting out of, <laughs> getting out of dumb debt, it's very simple. It's not easy, though. And it's not instant. Let me throw out three baby steps. If you want to write over here next to the, on your paper next to the quicksand. The first one would be this, all right? Don't borrow any more money. Oh, wise one. I know. You, you, you know what? You can't dig your way out of quicksand. Nobody ever got out of quicksand through the bottom. If I just keep on going to the bottom, I bet I, there's a way out of here. No. And the only way to, 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 not go in, to not borrow any more money, at least at the Bergen house, is what Ramsey calls a plastectomy. You've got to cut up your plastic. Somebody just stop breathing. No, you got to get rid of the plastic. Robin and I, we're, we're, this is going to be really weird, all right? She doesn't know I'm going to tell you this either, but I'm going to tell you because she's not coming over tomorrow, all right? We, um, we're trying not even to use our debit card. I know, I know, all right? Here's, here's why. Um, we switched over to the envelope system. I said, well, we did that when we first got married 30 years ago. I know. I've been married 24 years. We're back on the envelope system. Which means every two weeks I write out a check for cash and I put it in envelopes. This is the food envelope. This is the gas envelope. This is the spending money and entertainment, whatever. And here's the thing is, and this is a new thinking for some of us. When the envelope's empty, you stop spending. Well, I write that down. I never thought of that, you know? <laughs> here's my, this is my testament, all right? I spend different when I'm handing over real money. This is not the same. This and a pin number, not the same. Counting out dollars, it's totally different. If you don't want to borrow any more money, um, first of all, don't spend more than you have and cut up your plastic. You don't have to do this. Jesus didn't say to do this. I'm just telling you about the Bergens is working, all right? It's just different when you spend real money. The second one is start an emergency saving account. Start an emergency saving account. And here's what I mean by that. Everybody's got to have some room in their life, some margin between life and, and you. And I promise you, if you go home tonight and cut up your credit cards or give them to your parents or give them to, you know, whatever, lock them in a safe array, I promise as soon as you do that, something's going to hit your life. And you're going to need a, a small savings account for the flat tire that's going to happen tomorrow afternoon. That normally you just run out and swipe it or, or you know, just a small emergency, which is not a new sale at the mall. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? So when you're, you know, you're... You know, your, your furnace goes out, your water heater goes out, you have a deductible that you have to meet at the doctor's office, you go to the savings account rather than to Visa. So start an emergency savings account. And when you dip into it, you, you get it back up to where it was before you had to dip into it. That's just smart. That's what we're trying to do at our house. Here's the third one. Attack your debt. Well, the best thing I've found is called a debt snowball. It's very, very simple. You list out all your debt on a piece of paper, smallest to largest, you make the minimum payments on everything. You pour everything you have into that smallest one. You pay it off fast. Take what you were paying on that. Put it on the second one. Pay off the second one. Put what you put on the first and the second. Put it on the third one. And the snowball picks up speed more and more and more and more and more. You know, you started with like a $5 payment. becomes a $50 payment. becomes a $500 payment. And you can pay off your credit card or your car or your school loan fast when that snowball turns into an avalanche. And here's the thing is, all right, it's easy to get in debt. It's easy to accidentally get in debt, but nobody accidentally gets out of quicksand. Nobody just, I don't know, I stumbled out of it and I'm not in anymore. I don't know how it happened. No, it's intentional, slow. You know, you put your faith in Jesus today, you'll still have debt next week, I promise. Deliberate, slow, steady action. So here's what we've covered so far. You choose your lifestyle rather than letting monkeys choose it for you and intentionally and intensely dump all the debt in your life. As much as you feel like it's the right thing for you guys and replace it with margin. I'm almost done. 
one more thing. All right? And here's the thing, okay? If all you did was that, number one and number two, your life would get better. Right? We haven't even talked about God yet. Right? If you said, you know, this is a little heavy for me. I'm getting up and leaving. All right, I'm going to Starbucks and I'll, pick, you know, I'll meet you later. If you just did that, choosing your lifestyle rather than let other people determine what you should or how you ought to own this or whatever. If you just spent more, less money than you make, if you paid your bills on time with some margin left over, if you have a small savings account for a small emergencies and you start dumping your debt, that in and of itself is a better way to live. You'll have less stress and more peace, right? Right? That's just, that's just, that's just true. But Jesus pointed out that our relationship with money is more than an intellectual decision. I'm going to try to spend my money different. And Jesus pointed out that your relationship with money, my relationship with money is more than a mathematical equation of debt and compounded interest rates. It's different. Jesus said over and over, hey, the relationship between you and your money is spiritual. It's a spiritual matter. Jesus said it's very, very possible to live a very successful financial life. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you have too much stuff or uh, there's, a, there's a cap on how much stuff you should own. There's nothing in the Bible that says you shouldn't enjoy life and spend it on, on some fun things. There's nothing in the Bible that says you shouldn't do that. Jesus says, though, be very careful because you can gain the whole world and get lost on the journey, right? Some of that's our story, right? Jesus says, be on your guard because there's a fork in the road coming and a lot of people get lost here. Here's danger number three. Greed. Greed. Write it down. You know, someone, I can just see it on your face. You're like, well, finally, it's about time you talked about this. Because I saw his car in the parking lot while he drove up in. And look at the rock on her finger over there. And you're, you're just looking. You know what? You know what I found? All right. It's very easy to get self-righteous about this. You know, it's very easy to see greed in other people. It's almost impossible to see it in the mirror. Right? I mean, you can walk around going, he's greedy, she's greedy. You know, you know why? You know why it's easy to see it in other people, not yourself? Because you judge your other people by what they do. And you judge yourself by how you feel. Right? I judge myself. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not a greedy person. Here's why. I don't feel greedy. I don't think I'm a greedy person, so therefore I'm not. Because I know in my heart, I, I'm not a greedy person. And I would give to that if I could. And I wish I could give more over there. And, and I know my, my life's a little screwed up over here. But I know that my heart is good. And so I know I'm not a greedy person. But him? You know, I don't know what his excuse is. But I bet it's not a very good one. He's, he's greedy. Maybe that's why God never, ever defines greed by comparing us to another person. He never looks at someone and says, you're greedy, you know, compared to her. Or you're not greedy compared to him. No. God doesn't even define greed by how much stuff you own. The story we looked at a couple weeks ago about a guy that tore down his barns and built bigger ones and packed them full of stuff, that wasn't a sin. That wasn't a sin. God's definition of greed would go something like this. I'm going to write this one down. Spending all of your money on yourself while ignoring the interest of God. That was the guy with the big barns problem. Not that he had big barns, but that he built big barns at the expense of totally ignoring the interest of God. Definition number two might go something like this. Greed. Mistakenly, this would be the key word, mistakenly assuming that all I have is primarily to improve my standard of living rather than a tool to be leveraged for God's purpose. That's a mistake. And God says, that's, that's greed. You've made a mistake. You, you think that all this stuff is for you. And maybe we should have started with greed as number one. Because how many times has greed been the reason that I spend or buy because I want to keep up or outdo the, per- the person next door? Or the person at school. Or the person at the office. Yeah, I got one of those and I got a better one. That's greed. How many times has greed been the voice in my head saying, Jim, I know you can't afford this, but it's really cool and you don't wait about it and you'll make payments and you'll pay it off early, so just go ahead. Jesus says, hey, be be on your guard against all kinds of greed because greed can come at you in lots of forms. Monkeys, (laughs) quicksand, the end result's the same. You'll end up with a life of my stuff for me. And there's only one. There's only one effective weapon against greed. Now, this is according to God, but I agree with it totally. Weapon number three would be giving. Giving, that's the only thing that will defeat greed. The only way to keep you from being owned by your money is to build into your life the regular habit of intentionally giving a percentage of your money away to somebody else. And not just giving it away, not, not, not just your time, not just your talent, not just your prayer. I give my prayers and I sing the songs. No, Jesus says, you want to defeat greed in your life? You got to give your stuff away, your money. And not just give it away. You need to give it in a certain direction, and that's God's heart. What's God into? What's God into? He said, whoa, 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 whoa. You promised 
on week one, you stood up there and said, God doesn't want our money. He doesn't. You're missing the point. God just knows, and I'm going to speak for myself. God just knows about Jim that the only way that I am going to defeat greed in my own heart is if I will hold my possessions very loosely. That's the only thing that's going to defeat him. And I begin to see my stuff, my house, my money, my cars, not as an owner, but as a temporary caretaker, financial planner. I, God has trusted me. He gives me and trusts me to point him in the right direction. The only way to not be a greedy person is to be a generous person. And you can't be both. You can't be both. The truth is, is that if you just give your money away, even if you don't believe in God, you don't want to be a greedy person. I'm telling you this. Even if you don't believe in God and you're saying, well, I don't want to be greedy, you need to give your stuff away. Don't be a greedy non-believer, you know. Just don't be a greedy person. Don't be a selfish person. But here's what I want to spend the rest of my time on. If you do believe in God, if you do believe all the stuff about Him is true, if you believe that God's greatest desire is that every person on the planet have an opportunity to either hear, accept, and maybe deny, but at least they've had an opportunity to find out that there is this God who sent His Son to take away all their sins because He loves them. If you believe that's true, if you believe that we are never more like Him than when we're serving the poor and providing for the needs of the underprivileged, if you believe that God is most glorified and honored when we're running after his heart, and this is the, okay, well, so what if I believe this? Then what? Then you have to believe, not just believe. You have to, you have to live different. You have to act as if some needs are more important than other needs. Some things take priority over other things. Jesus called the giving. He's talking about being rich toward God. What's that look like? The best place to see a picture of what greed-defeating giving looks like is to go back to the very first church. The very first Christians that, that kind of follow Jesus and follow the teachings of Jesus. We're trying, if you're new to Flatirons, we're not a very religious place. And so here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to go back and study what Jesus had in mind when he said, let there be church. And we're trying to throw all the religion stuff that's crept over in over the last 2,000 years and just trying to go back going, what did he want us to do and how did he want us to live? So we go back to the Bible and we take the truths and principles that the very first followers of Jesus followed and did. And then we just try to apply them to our own world. Well, what's that look like? Well, if you go way back even before Jesus, the people who said, we love God and we follow God, here's, here's what they knew God expected. This is a rule, a law. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crop. Most of the people were farmers, so they knew what that meant. Every Jewish person, when they heard the word first fruits, they knew what God meant. He was talking about this thing called the tithe, T-I-T-H-E, the tithe. It was a law. If you love God, you had to give. Later in Leviticus, here's the law they're talking about. It says this, or earlier in Leviticus, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, because you're farmers, or fruit from the trees, because you've got an orchard, whatever, it belongs to the Lord. A tithe of everything you have belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Whatever a believer owned, earned, harvested, whatever, every once in a while, once a year, a couple times throughout the year, he would count it all up, divide it by 10, and then take that to the synagogue or take that to the temple and say, this is for God, for the worship of God and for the things God's into, the the spread of his word and taking care of the widows and and, and things like that. Now, here's the problem with that, because Jesus knew there's a problem with this too. It's possible, I think we all know people like this, it's possible to put a whole bunch of money in the buckets and still be a creepy person, right? You know some of those people. Some of you are some of those people, right? Right? It's possible to, 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 to be a tither and neglect love and mercy and compassion. Jesus knew that. He knew that. You know that. I've heard it said this way. You can give and not love, but it's impossible to love and not give. You got to let that sink in. Parents, we all know that's true. Kids, we know that's true. Your parents can throw money at you, but you know that does not replace love, does it? And parents, some of us have thrown money at our kids because we don't have time for them. And later down the road, it's blowing up in our face. But we also know that if we love, we feed them. We do the best we can to provide the needs. More, We provide more than the needs. We provide as many of their wants as we possibly can. We give them food. We give them shelter. We give them pleasure. We give them lots of things. Not so that they'll love us. Not in spite of the fact that we don't love them. No, we give because we love. Jesus warned. It's, it's not one or the other, folks. It's both. If you love, 
you give towards the things you love. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus uh, practiced tithing when he walked around the earth. He validated it. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he talked about the tithe on all four of the Gospels. But here's the thing is, after he launched the church, nothing. There's no Bible verse that says, oh, you don't have to do that anymore, or it's gone up to 20%. No, 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 no. There's, there's, no, there's nothing in there about it at all. This is what Jesus taught. He says, you're saved by grace. It's free. You put your trust in my son, Jesus. I'm telling you, you are saved. It's not by performing good works or good deeds or writing checks. You're saved by grace. Nobody's going to get to heaven because they wrote big checks. No one's going to be kept out of heaven because all they have is a couple dimes. That's in the Bible. Now, there's some religious organizations on the planet that disagree. The Catholic Church disagrees. The Catholic Church began to sell things called indulgences. The Catholic Church, several hundred years ago, began to say, if you'll go on a crusade and try to get the Holy Land back and you die in the process, you go to heaven. The Mormon Church disagrees with this. And I said, well, where'd you hear that? I don't know. I sat down with some Mormons and asked them. You know what the Mormon Church does? They send someone to your house and they look at your W-2 and then they tell you what you need to give if you want to be in God's favor. But the first Christians, they didn't. They just kind of thought it through. They didn't say, well, what's the rule or what's the law? They just kind of came to this conclusion. If before Jesus came, people gave because it was a rule, how much more grateful should we be now that he's just given us grace? See, they knew grace is not permission to do less. If you, if you go with that, you can go, well, you know what? I can do anything I want. I can live as wild and crazy life as I want. I'm saved by grace. And I know people that do that, but they understood it's not permission to do less or give less. It's reason to be more thankful than ever before and be more generous. That's why the early Christians, if you read their biographies in the book of Acts, they didn't just tithe. They came to this conclusion, everything belongs to God. And they never went to the temple or went to the, to the apostles. They didn't walk up to Peter and go, all right, how much do I have to give to be considered a good Christian? Never, it's not in the Bible. They, they just kind of looked at it and said, if it's all God's, I got to figure out what I'm going to keep. See, they, they believe that as God gave them more, it wasn't simply so they could increase their standard of living. Nothing wrong with that, but if that's all you do, that's called greed. They said, God gave me more so I could increase my standard of giving. I want to give my stuff away. Look what Paul writes to these. It's one of the very first churches. It's, called, it's, it's a church called Corinth. It's in a still town called Corinth. And that's where you get first and second Corinthians. They're letters he wrote. He says this. Now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower. And this is written to people that did a lot of farming, so it'll make sense. You can do the math and make it make sense in your life. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, remember who gave you the seed? That'd be God. Remember who made the crops grow? Yeah. And it's not just so you can have more crops, although that seems to be what's happening. But it seems, to be a, it seems to be a means to a greater end. God gave you seed, and then He blessed your harvest so your crops would grow, so that you could take that and leverage it into a greater harvest of righteousness. God says, I'm, I'm, giving, you, I'm giving you money, I'm giving you income. Some of them I'm giving you a lot, some of them I'm just giving you a couple dollars. And let me tell you what the end result of that is. I want you to spread my rightness all over the planet. Look at this next verse. He says this. You will be made rich. Some of you are going, I want this verse right here. All right, I claim that or whatever, you know. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be what? It's not your program, so don't look. What? God's going to make you rich in every way so you can be richer? You know, that's what it says. Now. You know, so God's going to bless you so you can walk around going, see, if you love God the right way, you'd be driving a car like this too and you'd be living in a house like this and you're having some of this bliss... Bling on you. And I'm telling you, if you love God, I said bling, I know, but go with it. You know what? If you love God the right way, then you could have bigger, better, fancier stuff. Obviously, God loves me more than he loves you. It's not what it says. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Why did God give you so much stuff? So you can be generous. And through us, through these leaders, all right, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. People all over the world give thanksgiving to God. Because of your generosity. We're not, how can I be generous? Because God blessed you. Let me take a time out real quick. You can answer out loud if you want. Do you think America is God's favorite country? No. All right. But you've got to think about it. Because if you go with a certain train of thought, 
we're richer than anybody else in the world. And a lot of people say it's because God has blessed us. Is it because we have more Christians here than any other country in the world? We don't. There's like 10 times more Christians in Africa, the poorest continent in the world. In Asia, you know, the Chinese Christians that are underground and fleeing for their life, they're, they're dirt poor. There are more Christians in South America. There's more Christians in Mexico than there are in all of the United States, one of the poorest countries in our hemisphere. So why give us so much? Why did God give us so much? And you say, well, I don't have very much. Anybody sleeping outdoors tonight? Anybody, if you get sick tonight, there's not an emergency room within 10 minutes of your house and they have to treat you? We got it pretty good. So I'm on welfare. I know. You're on welfare. Most of the world would... They don't have it. Why'd God give us so much stuff? This is what the Bible says. Not just so we can keep on upgrading our lives, although there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. God blessed America, I really believe, so that we could be a catalyst to feed the world and build houses in Afghanistan and take care of kids whose arms got blown off for wars they didn't vote for. That's what I think. And if you read, I'm telling you, if you read through the Bible over and over, if God's given you and you get God, if God's given you enough and you, and you understand Him, share. Just share. And if you read through the book of Acts, the biography of the first church, the people in that church shared everything. Some people, they had, an, they had more than one house. They sold one of their houses. And some people had more than one land and they sold it and they brought it to the church which met in the temple front yard. And they laid that at the apostles' feet and goes, whatever God's into, just make sure it goes that direction. There's some widows over there and no one's taking care of them. Make sure they get food. And there's some people over there. And you know what? There's this whole part of this world. They don't even have churches there. Let's, you know, if we need to kind of underwrite somebody to go over there and, and do that, let's, let's do that. Not be, they didn't do that because it was a rule. They did it because they understood. This is what you do when you love Jesus. And you love the stuff of God. I love God and I love his church. Three things happen. Let me wrap this up. Three things happen when you give your stuff away. One, people find out that God loves them. That'd be enough right there. Two, Poor people get taken care of. And three, greed gets defeated in your heart. That's just true. It worked for the first church. There were no poor people in the first church. At least nobody went to bed hungry. And it was an impoverished country. Everybody shared everything they had. And here's the thing is, as that church sold extra stuff and, and pooled their stuff together and shared, you know what? I have two things happen in that church. And this is, this is the most important part. That church exploded in two ways. Their faith grew and grew and grew. It says people were amazed at what God was doing. Sometimes they prayed and the place literally shook. And it exploded in numbers. If you read the first like five, six chapters of Acts, almost every chapter in there has, and 2,000 more people got baptized that day. And 3,000 more people got baptized that day. And more and more and more people flocked to this church to figure out why do people live like this? Now we're going to talk more about this next week, all right? But I think next week uh, marks uh, my two-year anniversary at Flatirons. And here's why. No, no, wait. Here's why I say that, okay? Jess, I love you too. Thank you. All right? Anyway, um, this, is, this has always been a, a really good church, long before I got here. Long before I got here. Um, this is a church. Um, this is why I came here. Uh, this church hates religion. <laughs> this is a church that... Uh, tries to throw out all the religious trappings, a church that welcomes everybody. It's a me too place. And we're really into showing the love of Christ to hurting, lost, broken people without a lot of strings tied to that. And that hasn't changed and it's never going to change. But recently, I think this church changed a little. I think it took a step forward. There's a moment in recent history that from that moment on, nothing's been the same. It changed Flatirons forever. A couple weeks ago, I asked the staff, What's your best memory of Flatirons? Some of them have been here since the beginning. It was unanimous. You want to know what that moment was? July 28th. When we laid a rug up here on the front of the... Remember this? Some of you weren't here. You missed out on it. Just wait, all right? Um, We laid a rug out here and said, whatever you put on this rug, we'll use it to feed the poor and dig wells and buy kids out of sex slavery and... uh, you guys laid like a quarter million dollars up here on this front of this stage. And you didn't plan on it. Nobody knew, hey, be sure and bring the checkbook to you know, church today or something like that. No, I saw people up here doing this with their wallets. I saw people taking their rings off and laying them up here. <laughs> Maybe it was breaking up anyway. I don't know, but anyway. 
But from that moment on, it has not been the same in this church. It was amazing. And here's the thing. There's a vibe. There's a buzz going on here. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's great. God's doing amazing stuff. It happened again at Christmas. You guys laid $300,000 on the table out there to take care of a little village in Afghanistan. Well, it's not even a village yet. We're building a village in Afghanistan. Our team's on our plane on the way home right now. They'll be here tomorrow night. Um, and I'm going to talk a lot more about that. God doesn't want your money. He just doesn't want you to miss out on this awesome thing he's doing on the planet right now because you're being attacked by monkeys or drowning in debt or you got ripped off by greed. So <clears throat> I'm going to talk about this next week. Write this down. Write this down. Don't miss next week. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something, well, we got plans. Y'all change them. You know, this is one of those weeks next week, okay? And I don't say this very often. I mean, I always want you to come back next week. This is one of those weeks that if you don't come next week, um, you're going to walk around going, now, what did he say? And what, what are we doing? What's God going to do? And when are we, when's this going to happen? This is one of those things where you're going to have a family fight going, I told you we should have gone to church. I'm, telling, I'm trying to save you a family fight. You're welcome, okay? <laughs> So you need, whatever it takes, you need to be here next week because we're going to talk about some just amazing stuff that God, I think, is going to do. I'm telling you, you ought to rearrange your life in order to be here next weekend, all right? But here's the thing is, don't miss it. But in order for you to be ready for next week, you got homework, all right? And here's, you don't have to do this, just like you didn't have to stand up last week, but those of us who stood up last week went, I'm glad I stood up, all right? But this will help you be prepared for what we're going to talk about next week. Flip your page over from the map to the other side. And some of you have already peaked going, oh, no, all right? And here's this. This is your homework. I asked Michael Kane, who's who oversees all our finances here, um, and anytime you have a question about how the church spends money or stuff like that, although we're going to talk about that next week, um, you can call in the church and say, now, what's our budget like and stuff like that? Um, if you look at that worksheet, it's broken into two categories. And let me tell you what. If you're 10 and get 5 bucks a week for your allowance, you need to fill this out. So that's you, okay? All right? I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, well, I'm on Social Security. I know, I know. I'm telling you, you need to fill this out, all right? And here it is, all right? Two categories, what I earn and what I spend. And nobody's going to see this. You don't have to bring this in next week with your copy of your W-2 and then we're going to collect these or something like that. No, no, no. This is for your benefit. But I think you will find this to be a kind of, oh, moment in your life. It was for the Bergens anyway. Once you go home and fill this out, and by the way, for all of us who, I don't even remember how to write anymore because I type all the time, this is available online. If you go to our website and click on budget worksheet, and this is really cool for all of us who don't know how to add or do like percentages and stuff like that, it'll do it for you. God is good. Anyway, uh, so anyway, um, here's the thing. So you can just like type in your numbers or something like that and it'll kind of make it up for you. But anyway, um, listen, most of us don't live on a budget. We just try to survive. Right? Most of us have no idea where our money goes. All we know is that about three weeks into the month, there ain't nothing left. Right? That's the Bergen House. All right? So fill out the worksheet. And then here's the thing. All right? Start shuffling things. See, shuffle things, meaning this is, if I could start ignoring those monkeys, if I stop letting other people tell me how I ought to live and how I ought to spend and what's important and what's not important, if I start moving some stuff around, more of this and less of this, all right? Um... What would that look like? How would I become you know, what Jesus called rich toward God? Because I, I, I guarantee you, when you look at that paper, you go, I had no idea I spent that much money on this. Some of you are going, that's why I don't want to write it down. I don't want to know. I'm telling you, that's called quicksand. If you're spending this much on debt, this will help you go, not only do I don't want to go into more debt, but here's the thing is, um, I want to start throwing every spare penny at debt, snowballing it. If I'm currently giving this amount to God, and I really wanted to give this amount, what would I have to change in my life? Well, right now, I give every once in a while, you know, when Jim lays a rug out there or, or there's a Christmas tree out there in the life or something like that for special products, projects. But what if that was just a regular part of my life? You know, intentional giving. If the goal of your life, you know, is someday, you know, if I did this today, you know, I'd have to file bankruptcy, but someday I'd like to get it at 10%. I really would. That'd be awesome if I could do that. Currently, I'm at 1%. What would, what would you need to shuffle around in your life to get it to two or two to three? Or if you're sitting here going, let's be honest, I don't ever give anything. Okay. Um, what would it take for you to give five bucks? Well, I guess I could miss one Starbucks. <gasps> no. You know, whatever that, you know. <laughs> On my second message I ever spoke here, um, I said two things. First of all, 
I'll save that for next week. The second thing I said was, um, I'll tell you, I'll come back next week. Ah, so there, all right. The second thing I said was, and I just come on staff and I said, I, I got in here and I looked at the books. And uh, here's the thing is, um, the week before I started work here, we had to lay five people off because we couldn't make payroll. Remember that, some of you guys? And uh, if, if things don't change around here, we're going to have to borrow money just to make the bills, pay the heat. And then I said to 3,500 people, um, if we all just gave $2 more a person, remember that? We, we, we have some breathing room. And you know what? The giving went up exactly $2 right, right after that. Ah, oh, I should ask for 10 But anyway... <laughs> Now, here's the thing is, all right? But I think it just started some, in some of your lives. And here's why I know that. Because this past year, we gave away almost a half a million dollars to the community and to orphans and refugees. Just because I asked 35 people if they would consider giving $2 more. And last weekend, guys, we had 6,900 people here. And I'm just saying, that's worth shuffling your life around for. God doesn't need your money. He just doesn't want your money to get you and doesn't want you to miss out. So do your homework. I'm almost 10 minutes long. All right. Um, if you come to the end of your worksheet and you go, I'm more depressed than ever and you get mad at me and cuss me out and wad it up and I'm not going back to church, I'm telling you, take a breath. Um, come back to church next week. We have some financial workshops coming up. If you can't wait that long, you can call the church and we have counselors that can get together with you and turn your ship around. Earlier, when I was going through this earlier, they said, did you say ship? Whatever, you need to turn around, okay? Hey, you know what? You know what? You know when Hope re-entered the Bergen house? You know, let me tell you when Hope re-entered my house? Not when my debt got paid off, because I haven't paid it off yet. Hope re-entered the house when Robin and I made a plan. And just having a plan, even before you start writing checks different, just having a plan makes a difference. So every two weeks, when I write out a check to chip away at debt, and every two weeks when I write out my tithe check to Flatirons, something changes in my heart. And I can't explain it any better than that. When I don't, my heart doesn't change. And when I do, it changes. And I don't have any other explanation except that. I'm going to pray. I dare you to come back next week. I dare you to, you know, even if you say, I'm not doing this, do, humor me, don't throw it away. Take it home, throw it away in your car uh, or lay it on your kitchen counter or your refrigerator and just look at it every day till Thursday till you finally go, all right, I'll do it, I'll show him, all right? And uh, I just dare you. Um, let me pray. God, I'm sorry I took up so much time to say this, um, but I just think this is so important, God, that uh, it's not that you need stuff because you can do anything you want. You're God. You own everything anyway. You just know that we need to give and you've honored us. I'll just say it. You've let us be, be born in a country that uh, has a lot of junk wrong with it, but there's a lot of good right with it. And um, the poorest person in this room is richer than 95% of the people in the world. And there's a responsibility that comes with that. We can't feed the world or fix the world, but we can run after your heart, and that's all you really care about. So, God, I pray that you would just guard families and couples this next week as they sit down and do the math. And for whatever uh, tension that causes, I think it's worth working through to get to the other side of it. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives and for people that we've never even met yet who, uh, who are going to be impacted because some people said, this is worth it. So we trust you. And because of that, we're going to live different. In Jesus' name, amen.